This is a Human Collective Podcast. This is episode three. Hello humans, this is the Human Collective Podcast with me, Ross Taylor. For 30 minutes each episode, I'll be chatting to my friends in arguably the weirdest industry on planet Earth, TV and film. This week, I was joined by filmmaker Gavin Keenan, who's worked in a multitude of areas in documentary, entertainment and high-budget productions too, most notably on Channel 4's hit show Dairy Girls and Netflix's very first game show, Flinch. Gavin, or Gav as many of us like to call him, has skills in multiple areas across camera operation, casting and research, among many others. But this is definitely someone who you want to have in your crew for those long and often stressful production moments because uh, he's loaded with really useful skills and he is a dead-on guy who is crucially great crack as well. Why am I doing that stupid voice? I don't know. It was great to check in with Gav anyway and to share a few odd TV tales and um, a few must-see shows came out of the podcast as well, so definitely check those out. Um, Also, I just want to give a huge thank you to everyone who's been keeping up with us over the last few episodes. Um, Your support is definitely really appreciated and it's really noticed, okay? Thank you. Enjoy anyway. Gavin, how's it going, man? Yeah, it's not going too bad. How's yourself? Not too bad, not too bad. Still locked in like the rest of us, but uh, slowly but surely getting out a little bit more often. And uh, yeah, life's not too bad. How's um, how's lockdown been for you? Uh, well, I think for everyone, the first two months were pretty solid, rough. Uh, but now you can see life, uh, regular life, starting to creep back in now. So I've been venturing out of the house and even made it back the, all the way back to Fermanagh a couple of times in the last month. So yeah, it's getting back to normal now. Yeah, so you were you in the middle of a job when this whole thing finished, or were you in between jobs? Uh, I had just started my first day. I was doing some like a few weeks on the, the third series of Dairy Girls, and then mm-hmm. on the first day, I was kind of doing a bit of cover for someone else. On the first day at two p.m., the uh, production coordinator comes back in from a meeting. He told me he was taken, and he just looks and he looks at us and he says, "We're stepping down." Just well, bear in mind that this is only my first day. It only started at nine, and this is still only two p.m. So hadn't really done all that much. Hadn't really felt like built up much momentum, and it's like actually it's just it's gone. So it was a bit bizarre, you know. It's not happening. I actually I think I was a bit arrogant. I thought I thought ah well we've started now. Once we've started, they're not going to make us stop, you know. But I was badly wrong. Like not even five percent of the way through. <clears throat> but there you go. It wasn't meant to be, Gav. Was that um? Would that be one of your first gigs on a on a sort of high end um production, or have you done a few before? Uh, well, funny enough, I was actually uh, the production assistant on the first series of Dairy Girls that went out uh, two or three years ago. So that was a real highlight uh, to my career. So even I was kind of there was the possibility I might have been going back for the second series, but I was working on a game show for 
Netflix that you you would be aware of. Uh, so I didn't get yeah. back onto it, but to be attached to it again, even if it was only for a couple of weeks, was quite nice, you know. So I definitely working for something like that is definitely a highlight, you know. Mm, absolutely, and uh, so like I, okay, so to give a bit of context, like I have me and you have worked together on a, on a couple of things, a couple of taster tapes um, on uh, on another show, No Place Like Tyrone, um, which was, you know, it's, it was another experience in itself. But um, what I've kind of noticed about you is that you've worked in loads of different, you've worked in multiple genres and different positions within those genres too. You know, you've worked <laughs> in entertainment and documentary, you've worked in casting, and research and camera as well so um why um why have you why do you have so much why have you chosen to do that sort of to get as much variety in those positions is that something that you sort of intended or was it something that just happened well a lot of it would have been because i'm genuinely interested in all those opportunities that came up another part of it would be just being pragmatic i didn't really have anything going when certain things landed my way. So I thought, yeah, why not? And that bit of extra experience will undoubtedly come in handy somewhere down the line. So like a part of it was thinking, yeah, okay, why not? It'll fill a gap. But uh, most of it was just out of genuine interest, you know, but I have kind of been uh, trying to focus a little bit more on some specific departments more than others. I mean, like uh, camera and production, because It'd be an ambition of mine to be like um, producer director, you know, I kind of like the roles. Mm -hmm. I was working on a job uh, late last year up until like just before Christmas is for this uh, BBC re religion and ethics show, which you know, not exactly my bag. But uh, <laughs> there was a lot of there was a great variation between being in the office and organizing things like laying the groundwork and then actually going out and doing it as well in a part of like a, maybe a two man team. I was like second camera. And I was working with this guy. Uh, he'd been like an established producer director. And it's like working alongside him and other guys in roles like his where I was thinking, no, that's the perfect balance because uh, maybe you wouldn't want work entirely in camera or entirely in production, but that kind of balance would be good. You know, I think it's good um, variation. So that's kind of my ambition. Class, man. I think um, it's such an important thing to have, you know, your mental um your your sort of the presence of the producer um having a knowledge of the camera side of things having a knowledge of the casting side of things or documentary it's nice to know that like you would have somebody coming through those all those areas and sort of having a hand in everything um i think you know the best producers that i've worked with are definitely people who who have the, who are that way minded you know um also i i actually I, I, there's quite a lot of producers out there who don't have that kind of scope of experience there's some people who sh sort of shoot up the ranks to that producer level i think a lot of it's is is the business side and a lot of it's like the people management side but you know not having that camera knowledge you know sometimes that just costs it can be quite costly bringing in you know your, your director of photography and things like that. all those things are really important but um you know a lot of the times i've been in skeleton crews where you have self-shooting you know producers who are completely pushing the whole thing on on their own it's super stressful um for those people but you know it's also sometimes the most enriching uh, process are the ones where you're you sort of run and gun and you uh, make things happen you know yeah like uh, some of the skeleton crews a couple of them 
uh, me and you worked on together, they've been great um, because if you get the right mix of people, the camaraderie can be like brilliant. And it's that kind of good atmosphere within the group that really keeps you going forward and uh, just makes the job a whole lot nicer, you know. But, um, for example, the same job I was just referring to um, the guy I was working with, uh, he'd like really plan out a story so that uh, it wasn't just a case of, oh, yeah, we'll go there and we'll we'll get something like this or we'll get that. He'd like break it down into like objectives. And then also because he was so experienced with how long it takes, you know, um, for example, we were filming um, one segment and we had just that one day. And uh, we think it was supposed to be a 12 minute segment. And he was able to say to me on an entire day for 12 minutes. And you think, yeah, well, like an entire working day, you get 12 minutes in the bag, no problem. But he had actually structured out so much and had like such a kind of quality um, benchmark in mind that he was actually telling me and explained it very well why it was actually going to be a really tight day and how it was we were really going to have to push it to get it. So it's like, obviously he was so experienced, you know, that uh, that was uh, amazing just to see how you can structure a story so well before you even really get out there and meet the person who you're going to be working with or the environment that you're going to be working within, you know. So um, I just be a lot of admiration for that. And then also it's just the part of like getting to sit down to trying to plan it out and kind of figure out which elements you're going to emphasize or just try and make it make the story before you film the story that was super interesting to me as well yeah and especially when you're if you're working in that world of documentary it's it there's 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 certain like levels of skills that you can build in both entertainment and documentary but people who are one way and the other they have certain skills that are drawn purely from that genre um, and i find some of the best producers that i've worked with and producer directors uh, in documentary they have this skill for um, knowing how to work with the contributors in a certain way because you're dealing with such delicate topics and such sensitive topics you know and i've worked with those producers one of my last documentaries i was uh, working on BBC was with the traveler community and you know one of the one of the great skills um was Jillian Collins is you know a good friend of mine now but she she had an amazing skill to kind of to work with people with really sensitive topics and and let them know that they're they are um they're in a, in a safe space to kind of discuss sensitive issues you know and you could tell that care is there and the care with the contributors is just something I think um is it amazing it's a, such an important thing to have you know but um, you you know when a documentary has contributors who feel like they are so like those some of those Netflix documentaries. I mean, I would find American contributors can be some they're just unreal. But some of those sensitive stories, the making of murderers out there, the the uh, the staircase documentaries, um, the pharmacists, like it's just the way that that you you know there's someone behind that camera who's pitching those questions to them and have spent time outside of the documentary, outside of the in interviews to get, get that level of trust there. But the ability to work with the contributors, I think might actually be one of the most criminally underrated uh, aspects of the job because there's just been so many times, like even on the lighter stuff, um, you get someone in front of camera and they just sort of get nervous and they clam up, you know? Uh, like I can remember one time I made this little uh, card documentary back in Fermanagh and uh, I was working with like a lot of the older generation, the guys who would have no time for that, but they were willing to help in a way. But the thing I thought was really valuable was actually 
not to try too much to reassure them, like not be too much like, oh no, I promise, I promise I'll not do this. Just only say a bit less and just say it once, like, I promise you I'll not do that. And then they kind of get a feeling for you. But of course, every kind of group of people is different and I've worked with different um, producers that have dealt with more delicate subjects, you know, and uh, just seeing how they can kind of get through all the rigmarole and just sort of get to the crux of what the person's concerned about and reassure them about that one aspect that is invaluable you know i'd like you can't really teach it. you can just sort of observe and hope you kind of pick it up you know but uh absolutely it's just one of the most important aspects of the job sweet now um gav i, I, I would be lying to you if i didn't if i didn't say i was gonna um pitch a few of our uh a few of our segments um for the podcast today and i figured i'd make you my test on me for a few of these um because i want to get as much out of this as possible when i've got time to chat to you i want people to come away with like new things in their head they go okay well i came away from that podcast with some with some information that i could that i could take into my life in lockdown so the first segment i'm going to pitch to you is gavin's top three lockdown classics um and this is where basically you're gonna tell me about your three lockdown classics the absolute gold standard of tv whatever whatever that may be to you um throughout your lockdown experience so please do please do tell me what's number one okay or should we go from three uh, to one actually yeah let's go three to one uh let's go three just to before one, we okay. start does it have to be something that only got released during lockdown or can it be something from maybe like nah. a year or two ago just anything 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 okay that's really right um okay the number three i'm gonna i'm gonna say orthodox which is this four-part series on netflix it's a bit of a guilty pleasure actually you know because but it's about this uh young girl i think she must be about 19 20 and she runs away from an hasidic jewish community in williamsburg in new york for berlin and germany obviously and um it is a little bit uneven you know i'll be honest but the bits in berlin are a bit uh too easy almost but the bits in done in new york is just really well done like so down to earth it's one of those kind of things where you feel like you've stepped into it you know in into their own like flat there's no razzmatazz about it like going oh it's new york it's lovely it's actually quite brutal what what she has to put up with in new york and just mainly for those segments more than anything else just i'd say or check it out and then it's only four parts so you can get through it quite quickly and even though i have issues with it i still really enjoyed it you know so i orthodox on netflix um okay orthodox um, fair play that's number th- no number three. okay so what's number two number two number two is a big favorite of mine actually and uh feels quite relevant because the new series just came out like a week ago but it's uh this animated show called f is for family are you familiar with that that's uh the bill burr series isn't it exactly yeah so it's in his fourth series now and uh well bill burr you know like uh, i suppose he's probably my favorite comedian i got to see him in dublin once which was an absolute uh pleasure uh but i think you know there's comedians who have hit uh, bigger highs, like they've had bigger peaks, like maybe like, for example, like Bill Murray had like the Ghostbusters franchise or whatever. And like maybe Bill Burr has never been up there that much with what he's done outside of stand up. But I think you'd be hard pressed to find a comedian who has as solid 
um, collection of work as he does. Like I absolutely love that F is for family and I think it's very underrated. I think like the style of animation right now is just to push it to do as much as you can with it. Like Rick and Morty are always on these like absolutely outlandish adventures, which is fantastic, you know? But I think there's something uh, really respectable about being able to tell a story that actually could happen, you know? And like just set in the seventies, it just makes for a lot of good jokes. Or is it maybe the late sixties? Uh, one or the other, you know. Class, class. And what's your number one? Number one is I think it came out a year ago on Amazon. What's Amazon streaming platform? Uh, Prime called? Video. Prime Video. Uh, Chernobyl. Oh, class. I haven't been able to shut up about this since I first saw it. It's a five, six part series. Obviously it's about the absolute disaster that happened out in Chernobyl back in 89 or whatever. But uh, it's just stunning, you know. I, uh, some of it does feel kind of more like a, a reconstruction, you know, rather than like some sort of drama. But uh, when it uh, notch goes up a gear, it's some of the best television I've ever seen, you know, and it's it's a uh, there's no we like swearing this. <laughs> there's no yeah uh, say whatever you want. There's no toff about. It. There's no bull. It's just a, it's almost like straight up and very honest. And like sometimes sometimes it just it'll give you a scene that's like a, a punch to the gut or something. It's just some of the best rendered television I've ever seen, and. Uh, I couldn't believe that it was actually after you know after I finished it I was thinking I'm gonna look up the guy who like wrote it or whatever I'm sure he's got like some sort of amazing like back catalog like Alan Sorkin or something or whatever and it turns out he was the guy who wrote uh, like Scary Movie three or something or just something one of those really terrible maybe even the ripoffs of Scary Movies or something I was just like I couldn't believe I couldn't believe one guy could go from that. Well, I'm sure it has its fans to like Chernobyl. I just well, I thought there's hope for me yet. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that's that's, that's the one I'd really recommend. It's not the easiest watch. It's not the easiest to sell. But I think if you stick with it, you'll feel very rewarded. You know. Brilliant, man. I haven't seen any of those three, and uh, I'm definitely gonna check that out. And um, I hopefully, hopefully, the listeners will give this a check out as well. Um, they sound like cracking. Um, cracking things to watch um we all need a bit of escapism in these sort of odd yeah. times so um for sure it sounds like we'll get a wee dose of that chernobyl might not be the easiest thing to watch well we watched it about two months ago when things were still fairly tense maybe maybe a bit of that fed into it but i think either way you'd have to agree it's a great show yeah um well that's perfect okay so that was gav's top three lockdown classics um Moving on to the next segment because I want I really want to try some of these with you. Um, now it's it's my opinion that the TV and film industry is one of the weirdest industries that Absolutely. that there is. Period. <laughs> um, oh, agreed. I think I've, this is going to be a good segment for you. Yeah, I, I've I've had some really strange situations, and uh, there's just that moment in your head where you go. This is a, this is just so weird. Where where else would I be doing this? Um, well, I'll give you just a quick example for me. Um, I okay. once uh, had a kilt fitted and sent from Australia for a bearded dragon. What? <laughs> a little tiny Scottish kilt. 
as, as you do, you couldn't just like buy some cloth from like a shop uh, down the road. Fuck. <laughs> now what what show was this? Oh no no no! This is a very this is a very special bearded dragon. He had his he had his tartan kilt, and there was a tiny little hat with a little like piece of ginger. Uh, I, I couldn't possibly tell you the name of this or the show. Okay, um, it never okay, it never okay. got made, unfortunately. But I um, wonder why. I will say that. Uh, <laughs> I will say that it was a very odd time in my life. And you know what made the story even weirder is that the bearded dragon actually stood me up on the shoot. He uh, was supposed to make it down, um, and he had a birthday party that day. And there was this sort of cross communication with this absolutely like ridiculous man who who had the bearded dragon and he was like look i've got birthday parties i've been trying to ring this guy before this shoot texting him and everything he told me he could make it down he's like look i've double booked here mate i'm not gonna make it down to you and all this and i'm literally like in the middle of a shoot going what do you mean you're not gonna bring me the bearded dragon i have the kilt like <laughs> everything's here you know i've got a cowboy <laughs> outfit for him i've got a sombrero like maracas the whole the whole deal and uh, this guy's like nah man i'm not coming we have an argument on the phone and i like his this this bearded dragon is up like at the end of the day and uh it's just one of those things where i was like you know, I went to the director and just said, look, I'm just going to be honest with you. Like, we were all hyped about this bearded dragon coming down. And I was like, I'm going to be honest with you. Like, it's not coming. The bearded dragon's not coming right now. But I will get you a bearded dragon by the end of the day. Um, so he was like, look, we really need... To, like, there was, a lot of, there was a lot of riding on it. He was like, okay, we'll move a slot around till the end of the day. And, and that'll be all good. And so, would you believe that by the end of the day, I actually had a bearded dragon in a fucking in a kilt by the end of the day wow. <laughs> the same bearded dragon or you somehow found no. another bearded dragon no i i had i i wanted to give a shout out to to uh, rebecca robson um who is you know one of my friends who, who was had done the aim high scheme with no not on the screen but i put the feelers out across the world like flaming arrows well, for does any do any of you have anyone or friends or anyone who have a bearded dragon? And I was on, I was trolling through like bearded dragon groups on Facebook. Anyway, long story short, I just said to the guy, "Look, I will pay you like whatever you need to get down here in terms of petrol and all that shit, all that shit. I'll give it to you today. Just bring this bearded dragon down, and then uh, eventually I managed to convince the guy to come down. So. I mean, it's there was a happy ending to the story, Gav. We got the fucking dragon. We had him in the kilt. It was so glorious. So you have to name. <clears throat> so you have to name your firstborn child after this guy who sorted you for the bearded dragon. <laughs> yeah. I would. I would. I've I've been in that scenario. Like, it's uh, not exactly the craziest story, but I remember when I was working on the first series of Dairy Girls. You know, the, there was a segment in the final episode where they did a bit of step aerobics. And they had it prearranged that this lady would come in and teach them the moves. I was ground, but things got moved around. And then the lady who's going to teach them moves couldn't make it. So like, as soon as I landed in the office this Thursday or Friday or something, they said, uh, you need to find us, or could you please find us a step aerobics teacher who is free tomorrow between these hours and knows this certain dance. I can't even remember what it was. I think it's like the he, the ha, that one. And it's like, I will try and I'll be honest like that seemed like a very specific order because I don't know much about uh, what people are doing at gyms these days but I'm fairly certain step aerobics hasn't been popular since the 90s I was thinking jeez how am I gonna get someone who knows like this 
perfectly small Venn diagram of like three or four different things. So I just like whacked up a list of like leisure centers around like every one as well, trying to do some other things. And some, I accidentally ended up like contacting a lady in like Belfast, New York or something, you know. But um, luckily I found one in Lisbon, so it's not too far away. And she knew the move. She said, oh yeah, that's one of my favorites. Like, yeah, I'm not up to much. I can come down. It's like, thank God. Like, I don't know what saint was looking after me that day because like, I think I'm like half a grand in debt to St. Anthony at this stage, but one of them was looking out for me, you know? But uh, that's not really, that's not even really the bizarre story. Like uh, just as you're talking about weird stories, I can remember I was working for this uh, housing show, fairly straightforward. Yeah, I want a house at this price and on the other side of the house at that price, whatever. And one day they sent me to Derry to do some filming for for myself because we didn't really have contributors. We're just getting shots of like potentials. And there's this one place in a fairly central street in Derry. And um, it's kind of like some sort of weird house that had been turned into like a reception for a business. But then they were thinking of moving it back into a house. And I got there. It's really dingy. And uh, no one actually turned up to look at it bar this one guy who really didn't want to be filmed. So we didn't really have much to go on. But the guy who was showing or opening it to the people, he, he was quite keen that it would be on TV, you know, I guess he thought it was a real opportunity. So when he saw that I was going to kind of like pitch it in after like half an hour, he was like, no, 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 there's more, there's more, right? So he takes me down and he says, this place actually has a basement. He's like, oh, that doesn't say so on the thing. He's like, yeah, yeah, no, no, it does, it does, right? So then he takes us outside and he goes to the building next door and he lets us down in this basement, which obviously straight away, no, that's not the build basement for the building that's listed. It's obviously the basement for the building next door. And then he, he uh, brings us downstairs and says, no, this is re- this will really captivate you. And turns on this like one flickering light to illuminate this really cluttered basement. And I mean, like, I'm starting to get a bit nervous here. You know, we're in a basement now. There's no natural light. Nobody really knows I'm here. <laughs> Apart from like one person in the office back in Belfast, there's like mannequins lying around. There's like old circus gear lying around. And it's like, he tried he tried to like sell me this whole show from what was in the basement. And I was thinking, I don't work in Dickinson's real deal, but the guy was just so insistent. And I let him get on the wrong side of me. So he is between me and the door. And I was thinking, oh God. And like, all the stuff he wanted to show me was just pure tat. And I thought like, after about another 20 minutes of this, I said, I need to make a push to get out of here. And I just went, listen, you know, this is great. It's not really what we want for a housing show. It's more like maybe try Dickinson's Real Deal or something, you know. And uh, there's almost that bit where I thought he was just about to go crazy or get offended. He had this look in his eye. And then it just, just at the last minute, turned just a disappointment. And I right, yeah, yeah, grand, no problem. I tell you, I was glad to get out of there. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God! Had you what? What do you think would have happened if you had if you'd humored him and ventured further into that basement? It looked looked sizable enough. I mean, like there's that much stuff. I couldn't really tell how much space there was in there. But I wouldn't be. I wouldn't have been surprised if it went like another twice the length. But I did humor him a lot. Like he had all this mad stuff. Some of it was cool, but a lot of it was just mad. And like I recorded some of it, you know just to kind of like please him and just because also I was kind of like scraping a barrel like it was a bit of a letdown nobody showed up to look at this weird house 
shop place. So uh, I didn't actually have anything to bring back. So I thought uh, maybe, you know, so I recorded a few mannequins here. Had a couple of trophies, which was sort of all right. But most of it's just pure tat, like random pieces of metal, which maybe he knew what used to wear. But to me, it just looked like random pieces of tat. Yeah, one man's trash is another man's treasure, Gavin. That's what they say. I uh, well, I don't know. That's pushing it a bit. <laughs> uh, it's also just garbage, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, so here, the, the, we're down to the last few minutes here. So one thing I really wanted to nab off you. Um, one of the most important, actually, segments I think of this podcast is going to be advice of the day with Gav. <laughs> Um, so have you got any advice, any resources or tools or anything that would benefit our listeners? Um, feel free to share. Yeah, well, actually, you know, <clears throat> funny enough, it's not so much relating to like, uh, media stuff at all. Uh, I think you could actually take this and use it in any kind of whatever industry you work in. But, uh, a friend of mine really kind of made me realize the importance of just getting a couple of little things done in the morning time, for example. Routine's a little bit out of whack here during lockdown, but uh, so it can be really hard to motivate yourself without being like in a working environment, you know, it's quite, it's just quite hard to motivate yourself to do sort of work like that when you're in your own house, you know, but uh, you get up and you do like two or three simple tasks. Usually there's a pile of dishes in the kitchen in the morning times, which is actually brilliant. You whack on the heat and you wash it away, you get that out of the way and you clean the kitchen a little bit. And then it feels like you use those little tasks, dishes, counter, floor, whatever. And then it kind of feels like uh, you're building up a bit of momentum before you start. And then that's just for like lockdown purposes. Uh, of course, usually I just get up, eat the breakfast and go to work. But uh, just for uh, the lockdown kind of segment or lockdown times however long the last four more just getting those little few things done untidying whatever little environment you work in if you work in your room i don't know why i just can't work in a messy room so if you tidy if you do some dishes do some basic chores and just tidy before you get down to work it actually kind of helps clear the head and build a bit of momentum you know 100 percent gov um that's a, that's really good of really sound advice I've, I've been doing that cleaning up my environment and my head and and my physical environment more and it really has helped me become more productive it's helped me churn out more podcasts so i couldn't recommend that advice more um look Gav, it's been a real pleasure having you on the podcast today thank you so much for coming on um and i look forward to working with you in more human collective projects and obviously more crazy projects in the future um but please, guys, like and subscribe our YouTube channel and follow us on Spotify for more podcasts. Gav, thank you so much for coming on, man. You're a legend. Love you. Ross, and I'll see thanks you for soon. having us. Good luck. No worries, bud. See ya. Cheers. Cheers.